spidey senses tingling. man alive to not spoil the game of thrones season opener uh he's slim of how slim paper cave podcast episode 94 welcome to paper keg where we talk about uh industry nails the books we're reading as friends for life and we uh, we do a book club every week. We'll read the same book and we'll gather and talk about it. This week, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And we'll read your letters live. To close out the show, letters at paperkeg.com. But uh, let's go around the room. You know, you're checking out the podcast for the first time. You're like, cut the crap and just start talking about each other because I don't know who you are. So just get with it. Uh, VP of merch for the Paper Keg Radio Syndicate. He's a father of two. He's wearing slippers right now. He is angry at you for spoiling Game of Thrones, possibly. Uh, Dale underscore A, welcome to the show. Just keep it off my Twitter feed, all right? That's all I'm saying. Uh, It's good to be here, guys. I love you. I love the show. I miss this this one and that one. Uh, broadcasting live from the sepia tone in your Instagram app. <laughs> that is a joke for video viewers only. Exclusive. Uh, Jonesy, you're an unpublished writer. You are buying Grey Ghost action figures on eBay as we record for $150 a pop. Yeah, almost 200 You have to jump on it. I, hope, it's hot, I hope your wife is listening, and I hope she's getting real pissed off <laughs> at your buying habits late huh. at night. Joke's on you. She doesn't listen to Paper Keg. <laughs> Jonesy loves beer. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and uh, I am broadcasting live from 1974. What a year. What an, that's what the year you were born, isn't it, Jonesy? Uh, not even close, but I read Blankets in 1982. <laughs> that's a flat-out lie. I know it. <laughs> uh, inside joke from last episode. Download it and join the fun. This week, a scandalous book that we're talking about. Alan Moore. Scandal, internet scandal follows him everywhere. We're going to try to avoid it and just keep it clean you know, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Volume 1. Dale, your thoughts on us finally getting into this series? Uh, you're going to have to save it for the show. Save it for the book club segment. Oh, gosh. I'd like to talk about how come nobody commented when I called the traveling Mark Farrington the Black Rick Steves. No? <laughs> what, was that last week? 
This is over our text, our group text. Um, I ignore, I think 99% of the group texts I get, I just uh, love you push guys. my phone love you in the love garbage you can. Love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I love everybody uh, in this room right now. What's happening in the world of news? First up, big news rhymes with Maloney Mark, Tony Stark, all right? His uh, Hall of Armor is going to be making an appearance in none other than Disneyland. There will be a whole exhibition set up. You can walk through Tony's Hall of Armor, see the various models of the Mark, um, Mark number Iron Man, uh, Iron Man armors, and yeah. uh, there will be interactive exhibits. This is the beginning. I mean, this is real. This is it's real life. This is Marvel invading your Disney parks, not just reserved for Universal Studios anymore. This movie comes out in in like two months. I didn't realize it was May third. So I think. Oh my god! Yeah, it's pretty close. <clears throat> I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm pretty pumped about it. The uh, 67 spots on the TV are—they uh, look really entertaining. There's one shot where I have to believe it's Tony jumps on the back of Iron Patriot off of what looks like the helicarrier. It, the uh, shield helicarrier? Yeah, I know. I can't really. I need to go back to DVR and pause it and rewind it, but that's what it looks like. Like it's a quick cut, smash cut is what they say in the business. I think they, they do say that. Um, can we talk about something really interesting? Like the Wolverine trailer that came out, my friends? Yeah, that is, that's cray cray, as the kids would say. Dale, let's, can we just break it down? What did you think of, uh, the movie of 2013's trailer finally came out? Uh, I, I think this movie is going to be so special that I did not watch the trailer. I am keeping myself pure. I, 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 I don't want to spoil it for you. I was glued to my computer monitor at work for the Vine. They did a six-second trailer for the teaser trailer, and I lost it. I lost it hard. That is... Can we just talk about how absolutely brilliant that is? The whole directorial team, the director especially, I mean, they're all about keeping uh, Twitter... Alive and well. So you did you watch the teaser after the Vine, or you didn't? You don't watch anything. And I watched the Vine. That's all I watched. But you guys can you guys can talk about it if you'd like. It it won't have the same impact as me seeing it anyway. So you can you can I'll, chat about. I'll it. I'll mention a couple of things I like that are not spoilerish. Uh, I loved Wolverine's like sixties mod shortened haircut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that looks spectacular. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about the special effects for the claws this time around, but they looked better. Like I think in Origins Wolverine, that for lack of a better term, I thought the claws looked chintzy. But and what was able to see of them, they looked really like like they were worn. They didn't yeah. have that like that shiny metallic look. I will say that I th- I'm pretty sure I thought the Wolverine Origins trailer looked fantastic as well. But it wasn't James Mangold directing Wolverine Origins. And how about the bullet train scene? Yeah, the that clips looked... from that. My God. Ah, 
I, I can't wait. Can't wait for this movie. I mean, I could just get shafted like Wolverine Origins again. Yeah. But we'll see. I, I'm i not a good judge or a predictor, if I can you will. agree with that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is going to be a very good film. Very good. Oh, there you go. You just totally... He just cursed it. I Damn it. And by very good, I mean it's going to be an awful film. Okay. Terribly All right. awful. That's good. We're still in good shape then. Uh, who wants to start off the round table of what we read this week? Will it be uh, Jonesy Loves Sepia Tone? It will. Uh, I'm going to remove my self-imposed ban to talk about a special issue oh, God. of Exo Man of War, issue 11. Damn it. Uh, Planet Death. Oh, do you want to review this one? Because no, I have okay. other books. I can uh, go I to a Skull Kickers like that. No, if you want. <laughs> please, no. Please, just do EXO. <laughs> EXO, uh, of course, Auric um, arrives on the Vine's home planet, and uh, he's ready to do some damage. But the issue takes a break uh, to uh, cut back to the priest from the first handful of issues from uh, this run of EXO. And you finally get to see the full origin story of the armor, and it's it might only be five or six pages, but it's what it's probably the best sequence of the book because it kind of gives the armor a reverence that we kind of only assume from the uh, the previous ten issues. So you kind of you you're left wanting with a lot of questions of the origin, the armor, and how close this is, and then Arik, of course, starts swinging that badass electrical sword that he can manifest. Mm. That electrical broadsword that I love so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, he starts laying waste to uh, the Vine's home world. And he gets into not exactly a philosophical debate with the priest, but he basically says, you know, you killed all my people. You know, that you guys have earned this. This is only, you know, coming back on you because of what you did to us. And the priest takes a stance of, you know, I worship the armor no matter what it does. So if it's the 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 will of the armor that the vine should fall, then so be it. And you know then what, he, go ahead. I was I was gonna say you know what this issue reminded me of a lot was spoilers fear agent, where he um, blamed an entire race for what one group or an army of people. Well, I guess technically they spoke for the entire race in Exo Manowar. But he, like, got to this planet and just started, like, genociding all over the place, these poor people. And yeah, I, felt, I, I, I felt, like, actually uncomfortable. Like, oh, man, this guy is, he might have just gone a step too far right now. Yeah, you, you feel that, you know, Ark has been re- revenge-driven the whole time uh, from issue uh, number one. So he gets his first taste of it, and it feels wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of needs to happen because if this is going to be a long issue series, revenge can't be the primary motivator for the whole thing. It'll get yeah. stale pretty quick. I lo- I thought Carrie Nord's art in the first half was fantastic, but the second half felt different. Like it's it was still that they said it was Nord doing art, but it almost felt like a different artist. I thought the last six or seven pages were rushed. Yeah, because the detail on the origin story is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But even the, even uh, the big splash page where Man of War is like coming right at the camera, it was such a departure from the first half of the book. And the the rest of the action scenes, I don't think the breakdowns are particularly good. Mm-hmm. But 
the issue is so great on the first half that it kind of washes out. And there is a, what I think, you read it, right, Slim? You're yeah, going to review it? Yeah, one of my huge, two books that I read. Huge, huge, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I am so sorry. You also go to the archives. Uh, but huge um, reveal at the end of the episode where, like, I, I generally have the question of, what's Hart going to do now? Hmm. He can't really help that situation at all the way it should be helped. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Well, that's spoiling. Uh, let's talk about a book I read, Fear Agent. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually read a book that I didn't even understand why it was released, but I was thankful it was. The Joker, number six, from the 70s, from DC Comics. It uh, Joker had his own series. I'm not sure if you're aware. I was not. He... He had his own series, and this issue, he was taking part in a play of Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty, and he reveals himself to be the actor playing Moriarty, and he knocks out the actor playing Sherlock Holmes, but when the actor that was playing Sherlock Holmes awakens, he thinks he actually is Sherlock, and he goes on a detective uh, chase to find the Joker. And it was one of the craziest comics I've read in my life. What? It's bonkers. And it was like this weird drawing, I guess, of how the the Joker was portrayed back then with his like really uh, waning gibbous moon chin. I think that's <laughs> waning gibbous. <laughs> but it like even when like they drew him at an angle, it just didn't even look anatomically correct at all. But it was just like this bonkers comic where there's actually even one scene where Joker and his goons dance off stage. In, at this play, like, the, and they're singing. It's just really weird. Highly recommend it. <laughs> when was, what number Joker was this? This is Joker number six. I can get you a year. Um, oh, man. Uh, let's see. I love, I actually just love the, the logo design from that era of the Joker. Let's see. Joker 1975. Okay. Denny O'Neill. Actually, speaking of awesome logos, I read that AVX book that you didn't like, Dale, but, uh, that came out this week, I think. Oh, A plus X? Yeah, and the back of that had the old school logos of all the characters that were in the story, or they they say, like, next month, check out for these oh, characters. Yeah. Those logos are so great. So great. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. That was probably the funnest part, part of the book, book. <laughs> but I, I was so cool to see the beast and uh thor especially i really got pumped for the beast logo though i think that thor logo is better than the one he has i think they're all better than the ones that are being used now yeah i love the marvel now and the marvel dressing or whatever you call those logos but the the actual comic book logos i don't think match or as are as good as they should be uh, Dale underscore A wishing everybody a happy Easter on the video chat. What did you read this week? I read Age of Ultron number three. My God. Um, third issue in this weekly series that was written, what, two years ago? or so and then they had to they made room they they pushed it to the back burner for Avengers versus X-Men. Mm. And um 
the heroes are all gathered underneath of Central Park. There's, I think, maybe they mentioned 7,000 various heroes and or the good people. And they're trying to figure out what to do next because of the patrolling Ultron robots. And for some reason, they, they, they're trying to figure out why Ultron is willing to trade for cult superheroes because in the in Age of Ultron number 1 two you know low level B team villains or D team villains were trying to uh, trade up Peter Parker so what they surmise to do is Luke Cage and She-Hulk are going to kind of kind of uh go undercover as it were because they can take a beating and Luke is going to trade She-Hulk to figure out what what all is going on here. And they march into Ultron's secret lair and they see a half a chopped in half vision. Spoilers. Could be the huge spoilers. the possible mastermind between behind the Age of Ultron. Mm. Um it was a good issue. It wasn't a great issue. I think the uh, the Captain America stuff was good, and the I just She Hulk looked a little weird to me. She had a shaved she head. She looked sexy. She looked real sexy. You think so? Oh yeah. You lo- love a good you love- shaved head She Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like double review, piggybacking on to this review is the Superior Spider Man six AU issue Mm. um this this series was written two years ago so peter parker is peter parker but now they're trying to like wedge in the fact that otto is peter parker with this superior spider-man 6 au issue and i just thought that was really uncalled for really weird you didn't like the issue um it was it was an okay issue i mean there was a lot of stuff from peter's or otto's point of view in 6 au but it was just weird because most definitely in the main series, it's it wasn't meant to be an Otto as Peter. I thought, in the first, right. I thought in the first page he mentions that he's Peter in this AU thing. Like he's like, I find I beat Ock, or like Ock had my body, but I won, and now I'm just back to where I started near death or something. No, what he means is I used to be Doctor Octopus, but now I'm Spider Man. Is how I oh, read that to be. So he's still Ock, but he considers himself to be Spider-Man? He considers himself to be the Spider-Man that Spider-Man should have been. Huh. Interesting. That's I, weird. I, I, the only thing I really liked about the 6AU issue was Doc's, uh, Doc Ock's alleged change of heart that he has by the end of uh, the issue where he's walking with Tony Stark. I mean, the morality of the issue is uh, mm. that he he knows that as Doc Ock, the reason he failed all the time is because he thought he was better than everybody else, and he never relied on a team. And this issue kind of teaches him a lesson that, you know, I can't do this on my own. So I uh, should have read the AU issues knowing that that was still Ock? Yeah. Because I, I totally did the opposite. I read it as Pete Pete. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was definitely Ock. That changes things. Yeah. Changes changes it a lot. Now I have to go back and reread it. So it's just kind of kind of um, a little screwy trying to play with time like that. I uh, generally, 
uh, the Age of Ultron. I've I've read all three issues. I mean, I'm going to keep reading it just because I'm uh, on the bottom four or the first four with the event, whatever the catchphrase is. I just I I know this is going to mean nothing in like weeks. So I mean, like the consequences are like I I have no buy-in with the ramifications in the Marvel U. But that could be for any event. I mean, that's the age-old debate. So yeah. you just gotta yeah. you gotta enjoy the ride. I'm gonna have to. I, in Bendy, we trust. That's right. Amen. Or unless Yuck. any love, <laughs> unless any more blooms fell off the uh, rose, Jonesy. I mean, oh, oh, the all new X Men bloom, all new X Men rose. Jonesy really just took an S on all new X Men last week. <laughs> Man, <it was laughs> wildly inappropriate and unfounded. No, I didn't say don't read it. I just said the bloom was off the rose. Uh, lightning. The round. honeymoon's over. Uh, over. <laughs> Whoa. Over here. That's, That's getting The cut. honeymoon. Jones yeah. is speaking in yeah. some kind of foreign language. Speaking in tongues. Uh, lightning round is a segment where we have another book, two sentences or less, we describe it. Jonesy loves beer. Constantine, number one, by Jeff Lemire. I'm not a fan of this character, and DC Magic does not interest me in the slightest but i have a compulsion to read everything jeff lemire does so unfortunately i'm along for the ride young avengers number three i would like to take miss america chavez out on a nice cup of coffee soiree and become best friends because she is amazing <laughs> thor <clears throat> thor god of thunder number six <laughs> thor takes a backseat to the origin story of gore the god butcher One of the best issues of Thor. And it didn't even feature Thor. <laughs> Lightning agree. Now you want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Uh... A lot of people love the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's just straight up fact. I think Mark is one of them. We'll never know. Uh, spoilers: We have a fourth host. He's not here tonight. The uh, Jonesy, you want to run through what is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and we'll see how long you can get without mentioning the awful movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my opening comment. <laughs> so the League is um, a team book. But the team is comprised of, and I could be wrong here, but primarily British literary characters. Uh, you have um, Sherlock Holmes is mentioned heavily. You have the character of uh, Alan Quatermain, who I believe is a British precursor to Indiana Jones. You have Jekyll and Hyde, uh, the Invisible Man, uh, Captain Nemo. And they are all summoned together to basically be a uh, uncanny x-force hit squad 
for uh, the British Empire, put together by is his name Campion. Is that how you guys pronounce it? Campion Bond, who's like the liaison to somebody named M. I read it as Champion. Champion. Uh, so I think you're right. You gotta... I think you're right, Jersey. Oh, right. Campion, Champion. Can we write that down? Dale just said, I think you're right, Jonesy. <laughs> now, just said think and not you are. Uh, so, the first half of the book is the first mission, the recruitment of all the characters in the first mission, which is to capture a unique stone that can power aircraft, or it's the steampunk uh, equivalent of aircraft in this day and age. So, the League recovers it only to realize that they are semi-betrayed by the mysterious M, who turns out to be Professor Moriarty. And they uh, they go back and they foil his plans as well. And uh, the first volume ends in kind of the way that the Avengers movie does, where they promise to always be around if they're needed, but they're not run by the government anymore, or they're loosely run by the government. And uh, that's it. That's Alan Moore's uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Extraordinary recap, Josie. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to keep it under like two minutes. Dale, what did you think of this book? Yet another uh, instance where as soon as I start opening my mouth about hipsters and their Alan Moore and their comics, somebody could come along and punch me right in my face because I, I, this book was great. I had a good hmm. time with this book. Um, I love the theme. I love the setting. And Alan Moore, he can write. I mean, when he's not making me think that he can't write, he's writing. And it's, I'm having a good time reading his stories. Um, he, he can write a, a woman... That's uh, there for the taken, you know. <laughs> Miss Murray is always on the verge of getting, uh, of getting hard, 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 hard. I, I, by... I, I texted Dale, and I think like I, I must have been an issue or two in, and I said more like extraordinary league of degrading women, <laughs> yeah. because I mean every two pages she was on, she was about to get physically and sexually assaulted, right? And then right after, I mean, it's insinuated that she was thoroughly hard art in her previous marriage right by someone then two pages later she's ooing and eyeing that she's getting hard art by hide and then the next the story that is involved in that is prostitutes getting their heads ripped off and abused and i was like let's take it easy with the women's stuff no. makes I mean, you wonder what uh alan moore's relationship to his mother and female <laughs> relatives is <laughs> Because probably, he's not that great to women in The Watchmen either. Probably strained, I would think. But I mean, <laughs> I try not to read all the articles where people talk about Alan Moore and 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 raping involved in all of his stories. But in like the little birdie in the back of my head, as I was reading this, I was like, oh no. And uh, <laughs> but I mean, she eventually prevailed in all instances that she was in. Um, but. I mean that in the like the first two issues. That's like all I could think about. And I was like, "Oh my god, what am I getting myself into?" <laughs> I I think the the assemblance of such a ragtag, loosely connected bunch of flawed people 
just made for an adventurous, humorous book. Not just flawed. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the Invisible Man and Hyde should be put to death, both of them. <laughs> Eme- they shouldn't even be in this book. They should be captured and immediately mer- immediately get in the electric chair. The Invisible That's a Man, more, uh, the yeah, Invisible Man is sexually assaulting Catholic schoolgirls as they sleep, and he's oh, posing yeah. in the, as the Holy Spirit. The, the first time we see him, he's, he's literally having sex with a Catholic schoolgirl in midair, and then... Hyde is murdering, uh, brutally murdering prostitutes. And then initially you think, ah, oh, well, he's Hyde. You know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows perfectly well what he's doing when he's Hyde <laughs> right. later in the book. Yeah, he's he's totally... totally cognizant of who he is and what he's doing. I, that's another thing I couldn't get past. Like, how are these people on the same team? You should be in prison for life, my friends. Get out of here. Stink. I I liked the world building aspect of Alan Moore when he he kind of alludes to the fact that after the death of Sherlock Holmes that the world became a much darker place as in Sherlock was kind of keeping the darkness at bay and that Moriarty had had a hand in developing all of these uh super criminal uh, criminals in an underground and like I thought that was neat, and I wonder if Sherlock Holmes comes back into play later in the series. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming this continues on. Yeah, did you just like blow your pants open when they revealed the uh, M to be Moriarty, Jonesy? I did. I mean, you know how much I love that uh, Moriarty <laughs> series that they put out. Right. Moriarty. What, so, about, uh, what about the revelation that he was created by the government? I thought that was a great twist. That underworld, uh, undercover underworld persona. And it just overtook him. Yeah. That was great. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of the Sherlock Holmes mythos, so to have that involved was, uh, you know, very alluring to me. (laughs) There was a couple instances of O'Neill's art that were fantastic and and totally almost brought me back into the story. There was a a few scenes where they're flying uh, at the end towards that big structure, and the perspective of the camera was always behind their their uh i don't know if it was a hot air balloon or what dirigible yeah yeah and the only thing that changed was the foreground of how close they were to the object i thought that was fantastic i don't know if i don't know if more would write that into the scene or that's just o'neill doing his thing because that was amazing that's what you gotta you have to ask i'd love to of course if i ever sat down in front of a writer an artist combination, I would f- totally forget to ask these poignant questions, but th- that would be a, a perfect example of how you would d- discern who who was the genius behind certain panels and stuff like that. Um, yeah, because they kept commenting like, oh, this ship doesn't look that big, and then they just kept, <laughs> they were like uh, dwarfed by this huge airship next to their little hot air balloon. And, uh, the the buildings and the the structures the nautilus looked amazing the mm-hmm. and the airship looked great I, I, uh it was beautiful i thought it was beautiful artwork and the people they were drawn they didn't take away from the story the way they were drawn but they like miss murray and some of the other characters they were definitely drawn sort of sort of like caricatures of of people it reminded me of like actual like rubenesque victorian art yeah. versus like comic book art mm-hmm. uh 
I will say my favorite member of the league was Nemo because you kind of get the impression that at any given time he has no problem with eliminating the league by himself <laughs> yeah. yeah, just because he thinks they're all crazy and dangerous. I think there's a couple side scenes where his crew's like, don't we normally kill these kind of people? <laughs> and he's like, hang on, and we might just by the end of this. He was the servant in like the very, their very first <laughs> undercover mission. Yeah. <laughs> he was super bent out of shape because of it. And he's yeah. the one with all, he's got riches and he's got a fully staffed submarine. Yeah, he's got the only submarine in existence. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I thought it was cool too how there was like droppings for future volumes, but they weren't really in your face. Like when Hyde could see the invisible man but he didn't let on that in his like hide form uh that he had kind of like an enhanced uh skill set like that was pretty cool mm-hmm. i love the uh, the setting too when especially when they got into the like the lower dirty part of london and there was uh, all the like the hair, the opium addicts and the opium dens and stuff like that. I just thought it was a great setting for a for a for a story, and it really kind of helped me enjoy it that much more. I think I I, I think I just like this particular time period in my stories when when done right. Like the new Deadwardians were kind of around the same time, and I really yeah. like that story too, the Victorian kind of era. And this was uh, I, I don't know. I just really liked what uh what they did what alan moore did with the story and the uh the the opium den as a what front is, what is the, the effect what is the effect opium has on someone is it's a, opium, opium is uh opium and opiates are like uh oxycontin and percocet mm. they're all opium derived it's like it's like an extreme high i think hmm. i think it just, yeah Not by. it brings you down i think yeah. and just you'll just lay around Sounds amazing. General malaise. Do the other volumes stay in this time frame? Because I know some other ones take, in, take part in different eras, like different uh, decades and such. I, I honestly don't know. This is one of the few volumes I didn't jump on the wiki on because if I choose to continue, I don't want to have it spoiled. But I don't think this is available digitally either. It's Well, it's available on the Kindle. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like 11 bucks. When I looked up for the first time, the um, but there's a bunch more volumes. I think our app, Comicsology, disclaimer for Comicsology, and I did not speak for the company. Well, I think we have the most recent ones that were released, like the the '80s one. Okay. Yeah, but that's about it, unfortunately. The uh, I like the back and forth between uh, Quartermain and Miss Murray when they went to go into the. Um, the poor house, like the halfway house to sleep for the night, and they totally mm-hmm. put on like this super cockney accent. <laughs> like he was totally being sarcastic about how <laughs> his his uh his place in life and how his accent would be totally derived from his dirty poor upbringing, and he was <laughs> just super sarcastic about. Uh, being asked when he was with his woman and trying to kiss him and stuff, and he would just be totally half-ass in the the accent and stuff like that. His writing of Quartermain as like the old man who's already had every conversation there is to have, 
He has no desire to talk to anybody. <laughs> he really doesn't want to be there. So he's like just going through the motion, uh, motion so he can get back to his opium den is spot on. Because the mm-hmm. one thing I like about the cast is Al Moore doesn't give you a hero to like try to relate to. So right. like each person in here is awful. So you like are just in the mindset to just be entertained by their antics. Yeah, yeah. And it works. It really works. I guess yeah, who was the, the probably the person that came off the best was Sherlock Holmes right before he died. He was probably yeah. the nicest guy. And he was, and right, he, he was even he was what? trying to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. He was <laughs> trying to murder someone. <laughs> what was the note that Holmes was writing? Oh, uh, he was writing to Watson. Uh, I forget what the verbiage was. Meta, meta here. I'm about to get meta. It does get pretty. I would. I kind of was more interested. I wanted Holmes to become a character in the book. Like I was super interested in the uh, Moriarty Holmes battle than the majority of my majority of the book myself. Well, I have to. I have to believe at some point in later volumes he comes into play. Because in the in the literary world, he doesn't die at Reichenbach Falls. He comes back. So yeah, what is the? I think we talked about that in a previous episode. I asked what the story was or how he survived that. Uh, th- he actually, they don't write much about his survival. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle wanted the character to die uh, so he could like create other works and be famous for other things, and uh, the demand for him to write more was so much that he kind of glosses over how he survives and just says he survived and he's back. Hmm. Are so you watching the, the uh, BBC Sherlock? I love it. I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting season three. I think Moriarty is not dead. No, he can't be. I, cause there's too much. I think what we're going to get in season three is we were shown something we were meant to see. And then the opener is going to be what really happened mm. because a lot of that happens off screen. Like, we don't really see Sherlock jump at the end. We don't ever see Moriarty pull the trigger. We see a body fall. So, I mean, there's like we don't see anything that's... Re- and, of course, the spoiler is that Sherlock watches his own funeral. So, Oh, really? I didn't know that. Whoops. Sorry. Was that at, was that at the end of the last season? Or was that like yeah. the last... Oh, maybe that I was did, like the I, last, maybe I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it, was before, it wasn't like after the credits. Okay. It's All Watson right. lays flowers on uh, his grave and walks away. Yeah. And Sherlock's mm-hmm. like standing beneath a tree watching it happen. And then Alan Moore dreams of adding in a sexual assault scene. Yeah, actually that. that happened just after that. Win. Winning. <laughs> I, I will say I did enjoy it as much as I harp on Alan Moore's female stuff. I did enjoy it. And I think the majority of the female uh, thought process as I read it was due to just knowing the internet furor over Alan Moore stuff. And like maybe if I hadn't have like known about it in my mind share, maybe I wouldn't have thought of it as a huge deal. But I mean, she was almost raped like three times in the book. Yeah, and kind of confirmed a fourth and she, we, it was a cause of her divorce, I think. So that's probably yeah. a big. I mean, the term was ravaged. I think ravaged. Yeah. I wonder who. I wonder who her husband was. I'm. I am interested in the backstory of, of her character. It's Harker. Was her uh, uh, married name? You know, Harker is, is a character in Planetary. Remember the Harker Foundation or the yeah. Harker? Uh, I wonder if that's the, the daughter same character. had uh, taken it over. Mm. I don't know. I'll have to take a look. Want to read Planetary again? I'll tell you what. 
I thought we had a perma band on that. <laughs> it's been, it's been. Or is that just me? That did have a. I think that had a platinum ban. Oh Platinum yeah. embargo for a while because oh. we referenced that constantly. Oh yeah. It is the best um, twenty-eight issue miniseries ever made. <laughs> I'll be that specific. Ma- maxi series. Maxi series, if you any, will. Any closing comments on the Alan Moore League Volume One? I know hardcovers exist. Dale underscore day must obtain <laughs> said hardcovers. We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them to you. No, he's not. He's not here. Letters at paperkeg.com. You send us a letter, and we will read it on the air. Now, I sent the letters to both of you. I'm not sure who wants to read it. Jonesy has a pretty lurid history of reading letters on air. I will. It makes uh, it sound like he never went to grammar school. I have the school, uh, I have the emails up, uh, and I will give you no flourishes if you want, or I'll gladly hand the baton over to Dale underscore. You guys can switch off every other one if you want. Go ahead, yeah. Jones, you take the first one then. All right, first one is... Try not to uh, R it like poor Miss Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Try not to R it up. I'll I'll do my best. Uh, Hey, Keggers, somewhat new listener here. Started shortly before you started Hiatus Keg, but I don't think you've done a book club on Secret Six, Unhinged, or any Secret Six volume from the first 46 or latest 28 episodes I've listened to. If you have, my apologies, and I changed my request to Cyberforce... Since you pretty much essed on Wildcats. <laughs> Spawn and Savage Drag. <laughs> uh, laugh out loud. Keep up the good work. J Bandoy. W Bandoy on the uh, Twitter. W Bandoy. We did really S on those Image Founders books. Oh, like, yeah. Hard. Hard. I don't feel bad. Don't worry. Such a beautiful time in our lives. We get oh, God. All I will say that we I were just above it all, Dale. <laughs> the the yeah. one bright spot for all those books outside of the letters we got for Savage Dragon was I still enjoyed Spawn, even though it was just god awful. Every piece of it was terrible, except for the art. Cyberforce would be fun. I remember Ripclaw being almost something I liked because he was like a rip off of Wolverine. I oh, I think uh, Cyberforce is definitely ripe for the taking because. It would only be natural. We've done all the others so far. So we should bundle. We should bundle our image founders episodes together as with some kind of like <laughs> <Yeah>. mega download. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put them in the uh, the like the vinyl clamshells and sell them at Walmart. Oh my! We could gosh. be like uh, Disney and say they're uh, hurrying by now because they're going back in the vault. Yeah, yeah. The digital vault, the moratorium. Uh, Jay Bandoy. You are the man, and you are entered in the paper keg contest. And any yeah, what, other what is folks this out there, paper keg contest. I want to recommend us a book club. And uh, Secret Six has no chance of getting read, by the way. Jake <laughs> um, we did it once. Didn't we do Secret Six, or was it Suicide Squad? No, we did. Oh, I don't oh, know yeah. what is we it, did. Is that different? Is there a difference? There's two different ones. Yeah, I think it was Secret Six. I'm almost positive. Nah, actually, is I don't that know. the one where uh, 
It was a Gail Simone. The Mad Hatter is a hard R in his own hat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Because I did read that, and that's burned in my memory for the rest of my life. Thank you, Uh, Gail Simone. uh, This next letter up is from Steve M. Thanks, Steve M. Hey, guys. I was organizing my long boxes last weekend, and seeing all my old print books sparked a question that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Do covers have the same impact that they used to? With my digital books, I don't really pay too much attention anymore, and even thinking back for the past decade, I'm at a loss to pick any that could be considered iconic. Where have all the Wolverine Limited Series number 1s and Spider-Man 300s gone? Oh yes, endless homage versions. I also... Did I say virgins? Versions. I also have a couple of suggestions for episode 100 for Book Club, Batman Hush... Can't believe it's been over ten years already. Wow, that's a uh, in hush. That's a good one. And good for pick. a roundtable book, the amazing screw on head by Mignola. It's a quick, fun read. Thanks again for the great entertainment every week. Thank you, Steve M. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you guys think about uh, the appeal of comic book covers? Do they get you? Do they grab your attention? Do they ever grab your attention? They don't anymore. I am primarily drawn to single character covers. Uh, For instance, if there's like two people in an embrace or like two people fighting on a cover with like rubble in the background, I am panning that almost instantly. But like iconic, iconically posed people on the front or maybe like a silhouette on the front, really, that's what catches my attention. But I can't remember, uh, I don't have recent memory of anything that I needed to tweet a cover or be like, oh my god, you see the cover for this? Maybe in the last couple of years, I, don't, I couldn't think of one. I think there are very few artists that consistently can come up with cool covers. I always enjoy Ryan Otley's covers. Mm. I'm not sure if they draw me in as much. I still think they're cool covers. There's a lot of, there's a couple of Spider-Man artists or... Ultimate Spider-Man covers that I've seen recently that really stunk. Like, they don't do anything for me. And I think Ultimate X-Men started that trend. Remember when Ultimate X-Men came out, there were all kind of single-character shots that really had nothing to do with the story. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, there was a ton of Ultimate... You were right about Ultimate Spider-Man, too. It was just... Yeah, that that series, I guess, would really started it. Yeah. Because they're, they're all just Spider-Man doing poses, and then nothing to do with the story, mm-hmm. really. I I will say the recent Rocketeer covers I have enjoyed, mm. just because I like that old pulpish throwback they've been going for. But even then, I'm going to read the issue despite the cover, so I don't know if it has much buying power. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say, too, especially since starting the podcast and becoming more aware of creative teams and stuff. A cover probably has less impact for me now because uh, the... I'm deeper in comics lore and I and I know comic characters on a deeper level now so I might read a, a comic regardless because of who is in it and also because of the creative team I'd probably uh, check out a book even if the cover stunk but I do I I love a good cover I still do uh it's probably less impactful for me to to get to read the book as it was <clears throat> back when I was a kid and also when I was back getting into comics again in like 02 or 03. That was, um, 
I bought some really stinky ass issues based on covers alone. I have, uh, I can namely, there's this one series where it was a Spider-Man miniseries and they were, Spider-Man was in the middle of like all these relevant real world movie posters. It was really odd and I forget what it was, this miniseries was, but it was awful. Mm. I forget what it was though. But uh, the uh, buying digitally too is way different now. Like when you were going, when I personally was going to the comic shop, I would just look at the covers and see what interested me. Now on like a iPad Mini, mm-hmm. the allure of a sexy cover doesn't hold as true anymore. I don't know if that's a limitation of the app, and they need and we need we need to present it differently, or yeah. Like, I doubt publishers are going to change how they do covers yet for people buying on an iPad or a computer. But I think even uh, Warren Ellis posted some such about how, like, even magazines that do digital versions, like when you browse on an iPad, it just it doesn't work as, like, you're walking by a shelf in the supermarket or, some, or something similar. I don't know what, what has to change for that, though. I kind of like uh, the <clears throat> six-gun... Uh, covers approach, uh, which I think lends itself more to to digital. It's kind of like a preview pane of like an email. Like there's a couple. I, I like the six gun will have like the the characters featured in that in that issue, hmm. and in the in the background of that cover, they'll have like a teaser scene of what's going to happen. So I do like that. And I think that's more of a digital thing, like a digital preview almost that will draw you in versus. I don't know if I saw the six gun cover on a, a comic book shelf that I might be instantly drawn to it. Hmm. Uh, speaking to more of the digital comic store of any variety, though, it's probably it's more of an issue because especially on an iPad mini. But if you're in it in Comixology, <clears throat> Comixology is not going to be able to just throw a, a, a cover of a comic in your face. So it pops out at you. <clears throat> like, it's all about screen space, and if they can get five to eight issues before you even swipe the screen, as opposed to, you know, browsing the cover, browsing the comic one cover at a time, it just makes more sense to do that. So you're looking at little thumbnails of covers, <clears throat> and uh, that's way different from looking at a, a whole wall devoted to new releases in a comic store. Where you can see the the actual size comic with the comic cover and stuff like that, and you know I wouldn't know what the answer is either. But it's true that it's probably lessening the impact for a lot of people, especially new readers, which is probably good. I mean, what what? And you you see like in Comicsology re- retweets and stuff like that all the time. They'll they'll retweet somebody who just opened the app for the first time and they're looking for something to read. What goes through their head when they're looking for something and they didn't actually tweet? You know, because a cover can't mean that much to them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for people who love browsing covers to purchase, is there, I mean, I, this might be a limitation of technology. Is there any way you could turn it into landscape mode and do like a iTunes cover flow where it was just the covers and you could could flip through them all for the week? I mean, is that even possible? Uh, well, you, you can do it with series currently, but only just that series right but when you look at the series it's like a mini cover it's like a thumbnail yeah any way to make that like full screen and maybe like you know new note uh, new noteworthy 
Gonna put it on know, my notes for tomorrow, babe. I mean, I tomorrow's don't, tomorrow's yeah. meeting. Jonesy don't wants me, cover don't flow. Don't mention my name, or it'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow, Jonesy wants cover flow, and then I get punched in the face for mentioning your name. <laughs> Stone MT's like, you still follow that guy? <laughs> You're fired. Uh, your turn, Jonesy, for uh, next letter. Okay, here we go. Excuse me. Uh. The unwritten, and this is for the uh, the contest. The unwritten, not superhero stuff at all, and pretty weird at times. But I love what I've read so far. Cheers, JC. Uh, appropriate since this is Easter that JC is sending us an email about entering. <laughs> Maybe contest. that was. I think Holy that might have been the Christ. <laughs> Lee smokes. Uh, I have uh, unwritten volume one, and unlike blankets, I have read it, and uh, <laughs> it's good. And, and it would make a good. Um, It'll make a good volume for us to review, especially because it's outside our wheelhouse, as it were. It's the one about the, um, he's a writer who's, well, his father was a writer and he kind of created the uh, Harry Potter verse and uh, he's kind of semi-famous, but his father also has made him memorize all these locations that are inspirations for literary landmarks and it kind of gets into why that's important at the end of the first volume. Mm. Uh, no spoilers. Pretty good. Mm. All right, it's the list. That's it. Super entered, JC. And uh, thanks for all your hard work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, With the world and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Next up is uh, from friend of the show, uh, Red Lantern, 2051, David Finn. Hey guys, as always, you're doing a fantastic job. He's uh thank you. I'm just uh, dropping a suggestion for your 100th episode book club, which is an amazing achievement. Well done. Which is Tom Strong by Alan Moore. Oh, yeah. I got the hardcovers yeah. a while ago, and I thought it was very creative. He does it all uh, all in great one-shots with absolutely stunning art. Anyway, I see you're doing League of Extraordinary Gentlemen this week, so maybe that's enough Alan Moore. I also put Ms. Marvel by Brian Reed out as a random future suggestion. I know Dale underscore A would surely back me on this. She's smoking hot, and it's actually a pretty cool story. The worst thing about Marvel now is definitely her terrible new haircut. Okay, peace out, guys. Rom, you less. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, Tom Strong actually, I think, kept me in comics really? for a while. That was just fantastic Ellisian-esque one-shot stories of... Just Tom Strong being genius, inventor, strong man in the jungle, in you know the crazy like uh, steampunk era, uh, mm. Chris Sprouse art, just oh, awesome stuff. Keep talking. It's in the. It actually just got in, added to the app maybe within the last six months. Oh snap! No, that's cool. I did. Hey, Alan Moore. I, I mean, the more I read from you, Alan Moore. It reminds me of Astro City a lot, now that I think about it. You're trying to get me shaken. You're going to get me quivering. I need you to read some of those books, both of you, please, and let me know what you think. Uh, You know what? I think that's probably the best. You're saying to take a chance on Tom Strong. (laughs) I am. Please. All right. It's our outro music this week. <laughs> Tom Strong. 
thanks everybody for tuning in. I think well, that was the last letter, right, uh, Dale? It was perfect. Uh, episode one hundred coming soon. Free comic book fast day. approaching. At least two hosts will be at Free Comic Book Day in the comic book shop in Delaware. Neutral. Uh, at the very least. Uh, shoot us an iTunes review. We'll see you right next week. Love you. Columbia. Dale, stop me if I'm wrong, but was there a... Okay, there we go. Go ahead, Jonesy, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I didn't mean to interrupt your moment over there. Uh, Am I right in remembering that in the late 90s there was a teen pop group that focused... That only did ABBA covers and tried to launch a career that way. Menudo. Ace of Bass? No. No. I got I to gotta do the research on that. Like, you know, there was a kid Devo, right? There's a bunch of kids and all they do is Devo songs and it's like one of those 4 a.m., uh, you know, order this now on the TV commercials. Wow. It's like Devo 2.0. I had no idea. And I think ABBA had the same thing, but I can't remember. I can't remember what they were called, but I know they released a single of uh, Dancing Queen. Wow. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> I wouldn't say what it was good. I just want to know if it existed or it was one of my Blankets Fever dreams. <laughs> when are you not? Is that the in one a where fever you dream? lied to a live studio <laughs> audience? Uh, first of all, not in the studio. <laughs> Classic Jonesy. So what uh, do we got in the uh, fireside this week? Uh, saying uh, that you underscored me with the music there. <laughs> I don't. I don't have any uh, rebuttals. I don't think. I lightning agreed with uh, Dale's book. Yeah, yeah, you gotta love that. That's uh, that was a beautiful bookend to that first arc. I mean, I, you, it sucks because you want to hate Gore so much, but now you got sympathy for the for the poor guy. Did you read this? Yeah, if if they were if they were able to write one reasoning for him to hate all gods, I mean that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but I also liked. um, I mean, I'm not up on the up and up with Volstag, Volstag, his his backstory. But I liked how they weaseled him in, which I'm interested to see. Interested to see how he escapes. But I also really liked how he was playing some mind games with him and said, you know, you haven't killed all the gods yet. You know, look oh, at yeah. yourself. Look at yourself now. You're the last, or you're one of the last gods left. And then he just, like, pooped a little bit. Beautiful. Beautiful poop. Now, I thought the uh, the best part of that issue was when the, the two gods that are fighting are on the beach and... Uh, you know, he just renounced the existence of gods, and he thought they were all garbage. And for a moment, you're like, he's going to help this guy. 
and then the next panel he just finishes them off and <laughs> takes his gear. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but at that point, like the poor the Gore has just been through H. Like he just couldn't get a break, and all his uh, you know, sheep of a tribe, they're just you know sticking to the plan. And I can't believe they stoned him. It's like, are you kidding? You couldn't just walk away from him. You had to stone him too. Terror. I mean, it was just. I. I. I usually get annoyed at you know issues, you know where it says it's Thor, but there's no Thor to be found. But this was. Mm. I mean, and maybe I'm just lightening up because I have more of an open mind. But man, that was a beautiful book. I loved it. The um. So his cloak was the blood of a god. Is that what I read? Like how how he got the symbiote as like his strength? Was that the blood of one of those gods, or was that just still vague? I, think, I don't think it was defined, was it? Yeah, I just thought it was one of the gods' like super powers or his cloak. But maybe maybe if it was the blood, that's oh, that is cool. Impressive. That's cooler than it just. Hmm. I thought it was understood that he just. Uh, kills the gods and just takes the best gear that he needs oh, okay i mean like you know like stealing the golden fleece or whatever like and uh like the god of war series mm. and video games maybe he just takes like the best power and keeps going oh yeah i uh what, Chunzi, what were your xo you talked about what was your second book constantine oh okay yeah so you're gonna begrudgingly go back and read it's Jeff Lemire, so I'm going to continue with the series, but I, I, did you guys read it no. at all? No. no. It's a constant, I mean, I saw the movie Constantine, and you know, this is nowhere near connected to that, uh, other than the fact that the name is John Constantine, and it's just a story about he kind of has this uh, patsy along for the ride, and he's searching for an artifact. And, you know, it all t- he talks about the nature of magic and he ends up sacrificing the innocent guy so that he can get a lead on where to go next and kind of escape uh, murder from this other magician. And I guess it's because I, I've never really gotten into the Marvel or DC magic backstory. So, like, I'm a little lost. I'm hoping that it, it gets better, but it was just really flat. But it's Jeff Lemire, so... Fellas, it's Jeff Lemire, you catcher, know? Catcher just jumped off a bridge. Actually, right now, as you said that. <laughs> That's right. A little flat. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give it a chance, and it probably, you know... You'll get burned. After yeah. reading Animal Man, which I had zero interest in ever reading an Animal Man book, but because it's Jeff Lemire, I jumped on, and I was so blown away. I guess Constantine could never have lived up to that. So, right. there you have it. Did it read anything like a Vertigo-y kind of title, or was yeah, it more... there was there was much more. I mean, it was much. It was watered down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was. I mean, there was definitely a lot of violence, and uh, you know that they. I don't think they ever would have killed off a character like the way they did at the end of Constantine. But it wasn't definitely Vertigo when you when it's like it's not an adult theme mm-hmm. book. How about that uh, time warp? One shot the DC release that has uh, Lemire and uh, Lindelof teaming up again. I didn't read that. Oh, yeah, is that out? Yeah, it's I available. F- that fell Live. off my radar. I forgot about that. In the app, they do some. They're weird. Like I guess it's a Vertigo one shot, but I you don't. I never heard about it until I opened the app. 
Like I figured that would have been, you know, kind of promoted more, mm. you know? Oh yeah. Is this that like, it's like eight bucks or something. It's a, like an yeah, anthology. It's a big one. It's kind of like, um, dark horse presents. Mm. I support that. And some vertigo stories. What's the most recent dark horse book you read and why? Me? Yeah. Um, sledgehammer 44. What the f is that? That is a uh, Mike Mignola property. Oh. It is a, a, a one of a two part series. I think Sledgehammer is from the BPRD universe, and it's basically it takes place in World War II, and this squadron of Americans are in Germany, and they're there. They're wondering when their backup is going to get there, and then their commanding officer informs them that they're the backup. And this huge robot-like thing kind of drops on the battlefield, and and then Sledgehammer, like they're the soldiers are barely aware of who he is, and Sledgehammer like kind of kicks ass, and then the Germans have a robot of their own, and kind of butt heads, and uh, Sledgehammer takes him out, but he's badly hurt, and uh, the uh, the soldiers are like they pull Sledgehammer out because Sledgehammer's kind of taken out near the end, but he gets the job done, and they have him, like, inside of a wheelbarrow, and they're trying to get him back to camp, and that's where it ends. And the uh, Germans are, like, <clears throat> diverting them. They're posing as Americans because they're, they all lost their way, and they can't, they can't remember, like, their transport was taken out and stuff, so the Germans are trying to, to divert the soldiers back to home base but it's really like the german camp and you know i guess they're, i think they're trying to get the sledgehammer technology it was really good um who did the art jason latour i think uh-huh. so it was it was it was really gorgeous it really was john acruti john arcudi jason latour and of course dave stewart oh gosh colors to the stars yeah beautiful that guy is Ooh. Ooh. And, what about uh, East of West? Nobody talked about East of West. I loved it. Yeah? It reminded me of a cross between uh, the Dark Tower, which I think you and uh, Jake had said, uh, Preacher, and uh, Planetary a little bit, I thought. Wow. Oof, yeah. What a combo. I, I definitely did not feel that when I read it. <laughs> no, you didn't like it? I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if I didn't like it as much as I need to read it in chunks told this to add custom where I just, I think I just need to wait until six issues are out. Yeah. I, I thought the only thing going bad for this issue is it tried too hard and revealed way too much. It was a lot to take in. Like I think a few people commented, um, even maybe even Clevenger or, um, Swagna. Like enough world building in the first issue, like tell a damn story or something like that. Mm. And I can yeah, totally I see that because I mean there was a ton to take in, but that's that's Hickmania. That's yeah. like all Hickmania. Like he could he could throw some kind of funky Morrisonian reference in the first issue and bring it up sixty issues later, and they would they would be J guards everywhere. Oh yeah, be yeah. Spurting. But I don't think he. I don't think he to this degree throws you in the deep end as much as he does in East of West. Like you're just kind of left wondering, like, what is going on? I mean, it's co- uh, they're cool characters, so kind of like I love the character designs. I love the fact that it's like a sci-fi western. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm you know dialed into that, but 
Yeah, you're that's always like, dialed in. I I haven't yeah. read the issue yet, but that <laughs> definitely that sold me. But I uh, you always have to keep grounded that it is Hickman, and you have to be prepared for what's to come. Like I was at, when I was at the comic shop buying it, it uh, P- Titus, you know, kind of kind of like dropped some you know Hickman Hickmanian knowledge. He's like, you know, there's a lot of layers to the book. I'm like, don't you try to cover up your words and make it sound <laughs> rosy. That's Hickman for you. He's trying to crap up, crap it up and you're going to get confused by reading it. <clears throat> Did you ever remember his line for uh the league? Oh, uh, he was I I told Titus at the store that, that we were reading League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for the book club and uh talk, we talked I sp- specifically talked about Miss Marie and her the circumstances she finds herself in constantly and I, I can't quite remember what what it was but it was definitely related to R like R fodder <laughs>